Good morning, everybody. I'd also like to say happy Mother's Day to the moms that are present here. I, I uh, think of my mom. I know today she's praying for me. She doesn't actually know I'm preaching, but I know she's praying uh, because uh, she prays for me every day. Uh, her and dad, they pray in the morning together. They pray in the afternoon. And when I talk to them, they ask me about my wife and my daughter, and they ask the people that they're praying for, and they just ask about them. And what, a, what a gift my mom has been to me and my dad as well. So I'm Mike. I'm, uh, uh, my wife and I are part community people now, and hopefully for a long, long, long time, if God, if God wills. Uh, we're also what we call, they call uh, global partners. Christina mentioned that. Uh, and it's a great phrase, global partner. I'm, uh, my focus of my ministry is global. It's outside of the United States. They used to call us missionaries, but uh, we're all missionaries. And that's, the, that's why this church uses the term global partner. So the fo- focus of your mission work is St. Louis Park and around here, right? Um, I get to join you in that, but most of my focus is overseas. I train, uh, I train pastors overseas, and I'll tell you a little, little bit more about that in a second. But first of all, I'd like to invite you to uh, join me in uh, opening up Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 19. Uh, that's uh, page 1007, I think. Is that right? 1007. If you want to grab one of those Bibles in front of you, uh, in, the, in the pew rack right there. And, we, and if you don't have a Bible, we'd be happy if you took that with you this morning. So I'm going to be reading from that same translation here. And I'd like to ask you to stand in honor of God's Word. And I will read through this text. Hebrews 10, 19 to 39. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be uh, deserved by the one who trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you have been enlightened, you endured hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. 
For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve our souls. Let's pray. Holy and awesome and powerful God, we, we come humbly before you today because of your holiness, your greatness. But we also come boldly into your presence this morning, not because of anything we've done, but because of Jesus Christ, because of his work. We ask, Lord, here in your presence that you would meet us, that you would touch us, that you would penetrate our hearts and our minds, that you would teach us, that you would motivate us, Lord, we ask for the work of your Spirit to be powerful in us today and through your Word. Help us to understand and live this powerful passage. We place ourselves before you. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so this is, a, uh, this is an intense passage of Scripture that we find in, in Hebrews 10. It is full of contrasts, emotions that are, are pretty strong. In the first part, just the amazing beauty of being entered, entering into the presence of God because of what Christ has done. The hope that we have in Christ. But then, this section on those who deliberately go on sinning after receiving knowledge of the truth. It's an intense passage. Are you ready for it? Are you open to what God has to teach us this morning? It's interesting, this, uh, the book of Hebrews doesn't have a lot of application points until we get right here. We have a few applications. Along the way, he's told people, the, the readers, don't harden your heart. Keep on going. Press on. Press on to maturity. Draw near to God. Here and there, he has application points, but all of a sudden, we get to this passage, and it's packed full of application points. Those of you that have sat week after week, walking through the book of Hebrews with the, with the pastoral staff here and with, with Matt and Mark, uh, we have walked and walked and walked, and now it's time to go, all right, what are we going to do with all of this? So I'd like to begin with a, with a story this morning. I train uh, pastors in different places in the world, mostly in Latin America, Caribbean. Uh, these are people that have uh, very little access to good Bible schools and seminaries. And uh, some of them have um, very little education, sometimes a fifth, sixth, seventh grade education. At the end of last year, I was uh, in uh, the Peruvian Amazon, a group of guys that I've been training for a few years with a... Uh, missionary part, a friend of mine named Blair. 
And we were sitting in the afternoons, we would leave the church building and go out into this, uh, into this little space here underneath a tree, under the shade of a tree, and we would, there'd be a little breeze, and then we'd just keep doing our training under that tree. Well, as I'd spent, spent time with these guys over a few years, and during this particular course, we were teaching the whole story of the Bible uh, to these guys, and how that story helps us understand particular texts of the Bible. I was noticing that these guys are kind of under the Old Testament law kind of mentality. Uh, very focused on have to, have to, have to. We have to obey. We have to obey. And most of their sermons end with we have to obey, we have to obey. And there's a sense in which if we don't, we're in trouble. God's going to get us. And it was concerning. And I felt like this was the afternoon that, that maybe we should address that more fully. And so I asked a question. I said, guys, I have a question for you this morning. Um, imagine this. You're, you're a, a person who has surrendered to Christ. You're following Christ. And uh, one day, you come home, you're out, you're, you've been out and about, and, and, uh, and your spouse asks you, well, where have you been? And for whatever reason, you're a little ashamed of that, whatever it was, and so you, you lie and you said you did something else. All of a sudden, a spear comes through the window and goes right through your head and you fall down and die. What's going to happen to you? Are you going to go to heaven or hell? And they, one by one, began to say, hell, hell, hell. I wasn't com completely shocked, but I was sad. I was sad. And where did we go? That afternoon, we came to this text in Hebrews chapter 10. The beginning of the chapter talks about Jesus and his sacrifice once for all that paid the penalty for our sins. One time for all time. It's not year after year, month after month, sacrificing animals to have forgiveness. And even the author says in, in chapter 10, verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Ultimately, only Christ could do that. And then we come to this text. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the blood of Jesus. It's not what I do. It's not my good works that allow me to go and spend eternity with God and to enter today into the presence of God and have fellowship with him. It is Jesus that allows that. It is the work of Jesus on the cross that has done this for us. It is amazing this morning, we have an invitation from God to boldly come into the presence of God, to walk with Him, talk with Him, not because we earned it, but because Christ did it. God has acted. This is the gospel. We don't deserve it, but God has acted through Christ on our behalf. This is our starting point. Boldly come into His presence Look at that verse, uh, verse 19. If you don't have a Bible open and you can read, I'd love it if you had a Bible open now and you could follow with me as we go through this. 
Uh, we're going to begin by uh, looking at the first few verses here in the text. This text begins, therefore, we always have to ask, well, what's that? Therefore, this is connected to what happened before. It is connected to the work of Christ. And the author, from the very beginning of the book, has laid out who this Jesus is. Chapter 1, he begins immediately saying, this, this Jesus is God, the exact representation of the nature of God. And he created all things, and he holds all things together. That's who Jesus is. Says that he is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses, the person that God used to bring the Old Testament law. He is greater than the sacrificial system, that old covenant, that old agreement that was based on people working and working to do what's right. He's better than that, and he has a new agreement, a new covenant with people, and it is based on Jesus and what he does. So he's built to that point, and now he says, okay, what are we going to do about it? And this text is about what are we going to do about Jesus and what he has done for us. And he says, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way. It's pretty cool. It's a new way. It's not like the old way. It's new, and it's living. In the old way, there were carcasses strewn about because they were sacrificing the animals, sacrificing the animals, but Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the dead. He is alive. He is living. It is a living way, and it's a living way that brings life to us. Through Jesus, we have life. We can really live lives full of joy, life within God's presence, lives with his power. It is a new and living way that he opened up. Once again, the author points to Jesus. It is, it is he who opened the door. And how did he do that? Through his body, which is his flesh. It's an interesting image. When it talks about the holy places here, it's talking about place, the place where people met God. It was a tent of meeting, and inside that was a place called the Holy, holy of Holies, and we've been talking about this here for a few months here and there. But the priest would purify himself completely. He'd have to completely bathe. Normally, the priest would wash their hands before the sacrifices. But for this, to enter into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, to offer sacrifice, he had to completely purify his body, and then he had to put on white garments, four different kinds of white garments. And many believe that that is an act of humility. He took off all the gold and his, his fancy ephod, his fancy garments, and put on simple white linens. And he came in purified into the presence. He offered sacrifice for himself and sacrifice for the people, and he could only do it once a year. Leviticus 16 says, if you don't purify yourself, Aaron, the first high priest, you're going to die. You're going to be killed. He was entering into the holy place, the holiness of God, and he had to be purified. That is true for you and me as well. We cannot enter into the presence of God without being purified. The bad news is we sin over and over and over and over. 
before we come to Christ and after we come to Christ, right? We sin. The good news is that Jesus took our place. He spilled out his blood. He acted for us. And now you and I can enter into his presence. Wow. We can enter, walk, talk, converse, listen, be empowered by God because of what Jesus has done. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, notice that, since we have, since we have, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, since we have a great high priest, once again, pointing to Jesus, the author has told us before that Jesus is the mediator He's the connector between us and God. He's the mediator of this new agreement, this new and living way. He is the one who is connecting us. And then we have three phrases that begin with, let us. Since we have, since we have, and then one, two, three, let us, let us, let us. My, my, my grandpa once preached on a sermon on three heads of lettuce, I'm, but I'm not going to go there. So... The first one is, let us draw near with a true heart in full of assurance of faith. Let us draw near with a, with, full, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Those of us who have a true heart, and a true heart comes from when we, when we surrender ourselves to Christ. We turn away from all the things that, that we put our faith in, and we surrender and follow Jesus, when we do that, now he begins to transform us and our heart is focused on God and what he has focused on Jesus. And we can come in with full assurance of faith that God has acted for us and we can be with him. Do you fight? Do you work? Are you diligent? To walk with God, to listen to God. We have an open invitation to walk with God and to converse, to go into his presence. What does that look like? What does it look like to enter into the presence of God? I think it's different for everybody. For me, I have to develop rhythms. I don't trust the rhythms, but I need those rhythms to help me Boldly walk in the presence of God. My typical day when I'm home, and I try to do this overseas if possible, is I get up in the morning, I usually do a, I, I hit the coffee pot on, and I go and uh, do a little workout, and while the coffee's brewing, and I come back, and I pour my first cup of coffee, and I sit, and I have coffee with Jesus. Those are usually my good days. Those are my best days. When I start like that, coffee with Jesus. And I, before I open my Bible, before I do anything, I'm almost always the first person up in the house. I'm a morning person, and I just have coffee with Jesus. I sit and talk and listen and process. And honestly, I'm not very good at it. I get distracted. I want to check sports scores. scores. I want to do all kinds of things. But I just want to have start my day in his presence. And then I do open his word. I love the word of God and I open it up and I just spend time working through and I'm, I want to do it full of the spirit. I want to do it with God's presence. I want it to be interactive with God. 
where he shows me, Mike, you know, you see that? I don't think you're really working on that. You, I mean, you got to look at that. I want that. To, that's who I want. And then I want to con- continue my day like that. I do spend time then. I pray for people. and uh, uh, I just have a long list of, well, not so long, but a list of people. This is what it looks like for me. And then as the day goes on, I try to continue that conversation, continue in the presence of God with my sin and without my sin, whatever it is, I want to continue. I know some of you are night people and you connect with God better at night. Praise the Lord. It doesn't have to be early in the morning. But connect with God. Some people set their their alarm on their clocks, on their uh, watch to go off every hour and they just, every hour like, oh, yeah, okay, (laughs) yeah, I want to be connected. Every hour during the day they connect with Jesus. What is your way to connect? What is your way? How do you walk in the Spirit? How do you walk with God? How do you draw near day after day? We have been invited into the presence of holy God God at any time. Let's do it. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. This is the beautiful invitation that the text begins with. And then he goes on, he says, with, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, we have been purified. We don't feel like it. We have these guilty fears we just sung about, right? They haunt us. It's like, man, I just can't do it. I'm just constantly sinning. No, no, it was paid for. Christ paid for it. It's done. He removed it as far as east is from west. So walk with him. Don't let Satan use your sin to keep you out of the presence of God. He wants to walk with us. Second, let us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We can have an unwavering hope because God is faithful. Notice how the author just keeps pointing to God and what he's done. He is faithful, and so we have an unwavering hope. We we can confess it all the time. We have hope. What is our hope? It is a future hope that no matter what happens, we will spend eternity with God. And then the intimacy will be even greater than it is now. We will hear his voice. We will see his face. We will know him as as he is. And he will know us. It's going to be amazing. This is our hope as Christians. Uh, One day, uh, Linda and I went to the hospital to visit a woman who impacted us greatly. She was a counselor for us and our team as we went uh, to Brazil many years ago as missionaries. And man, did she impact our lives. She had uh, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and she was on her last breaths. And they were at that point, they were putting the morphine up beyond, uh, to points where, where it would kill her, and then down below just to help her with the pain. She was in excruciating pain. For a long time, she hadn't been able to talk, and she had a little tablet she would type into. And I, when I walked in, I never, never expected to see what I saw. Bonnie was beaming. She was beaming. She was in excruciating pain, but she was beaming. And I'll never forget her face, never and, we, and she was so happy we were there. And we prayed for her. She typed on her little tablet, 
a few things to us. We had a conversation with her, and one of the things she typed is, I see the angels. I see the angels. God had met her there in the middle of that pain, and she was ready. She was ready. You could see it in her face. You could read it in her words. She had a hope, a sure hope that she was going to spend eternity. She was about to enter into the presence of God. Hope is powerful. It, it helps us keep going, doesn't it? We can keep going in our walk with Jesus. We can keep drawing near because there is a future for us and it is beyond what we can possibly imagine. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he is faithful. Third, let us. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together, as is the habit of some, little dig there, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day draw near. He says, we got to do this together. We draw near, we do it with hope in Jesus, and we do it together. We do it together. We're not alone. We, we are Americans, aren't we? Most of us probably here, maybe not all of us. But as Americans, we are some of the most individualistic people that have ever lived, I think. <laughs> we are so individualistic. We, we live our spirituality, we live our lives in isolation from others. And that is not what the Bible teaches us to do. It teaches us that we need each other, that we need to grow together. We need to share our lives together. We need to stir each other up towards love and good need, deeds and encourage one another. Do you see somebody that's wavering in their faith, wavering in their hope, somebody that's close to you? Don't leave them there. Go talk to them. How's it going? How is your faith? You see somebody that's having doubts. Let's talk about this. Encourage them. Pray with them. Find other people to help. Let's not do it alone. Uh, when I was a kid, this, this text was used kind of as a guilt trip to get people to go to church, right? N not neglecting the, the meeting together is, is the habit of some, you know? So I don't know if you've ever heard that kind of, kind of talk. That's not what it's, what it's about. It's not a guilt trip. It's that we need each other and we, we're, we need to bring each other uh, to, to growth, help each other grow in our faith in Christ. And the stakes are very high. That last phrase, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day is that? In my Bible, it's capitalized. I think it's to point to the fact it's the day of judgment. And that becomes very clear as we continue the text. Look at verse 26. He starts talking about that day of judgment. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. You know what's scary to me about this? Look at those first words. For if we go on sinning. He's saying, we need to stir one another, another up to love and good deeds. We need to encourage one another because that day is coming. If we go on sinning, that kind of scares me. 
deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. This is one of the most difficult sections in the Bible, (laughs) I think. And uh, it's a difficult one. We're going to walk through it quickly. But look at this. Look at what happens to someone who is continually sinning and they're doing it deliberately after they have received knowledge of the truth. And look at, uh, we're just going to skip down quickly to verse 29. Uh, How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? Imagine that. To sin continually and deliberately is to trample Jesus under your feet and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. The the, The person or people described here are people that appear to have been part of the congregation in some way, have had some kind of experience with God and have turned their back on it. I don't know exactly what that is, but it scares me. It scares me. We live in an age right now in this country where many, many people are turning away from the faith they had as a child or as a youth. Many, many. The statistics are alarming. Alarming. But look what it says, verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So people were, were killed in the, under the Old Testament law for abandoning the things in the law of Moses. And there's this verse 29 again. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who trampled underfoot the Son of God? Verse 30. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Heavy, serious text. But we remember what we saw earlier. God is holy. He is perfect. He is powerful. He is righteous and he is just. Yes, he is gracious. He has acted on our behalf, but he is also a God of justice. And because he is holy, he cannot exist together with unrighteousness. That's why we have to be purified by Jesus to be in the presence of God. It's the only way. Many years ago, my wife, Linda, was asked to invest in a young gal, a few other gals too. It's a thing we call discipleship in the church. And so there was one gal, I'll call her Susie. Susie grew up in the church. She had made some kind of profession of faith as a young girl. But now as a 13-year-old, she was dabbling with drugs and she was sexually active and was just becoming really rebellious in the church. And so my, my wife was just spending time with her and talking to her, and one day she decided to have a serious talk with Susie. And she's asking her questions and lovingly just asking her how she's doing and talking to her, with her about the choices she's making. And Susie wasn't really so interested in hearing all this. And then Linda said these words. She said, Susie, I'm worried about your eternal destination. And uh, Susie immediately got angry. And she said, oh no, I prayed that prayer. 
I'm going to heaven. I prayed that prayer. I'm going to heaven. There are many people who trust a prayer that they prayed or walking down an aisle, raising their hand or something like this, but their lives have not been truly transformed. They don't really know Jesus. They're not walking with Jesus. They're not growing in their faith. Jesus said that we'll know if they're really his followers by the fruit that their lives produce. Real Christians grow. Real Christians persevere. Real Christians keep going. Oh yes, we have our falls. We have our drawbacks. We deal with our sin. We grow like this in the Christian life. <laughs> right? Is this how you grow? I never grew like this in my Christian life. And I don't think you do either. We grow like this. And sometimes we have these drops and it scares us and the Spirit draws us back and we go like, okay, and we keep growing, right? Real Christians grow and real Christians persevere until the end. We're going to get there. He's going to talk about that more as we go. This is serious. It is serious. So what do we do? We stir one another up to love and good deeds and we encourage each other. Notice the word for in verse 26. Why do we do this? For if we go on sinning, in other words, we're all responsible to help each other grow. We can't let people fall. We have to stand with them, encourage them, speak the truth, speak it in love, pour our lives into people because we don't want anyone, anyone to perish. We don't want anyone to fall away from God. So let's stir up one another to love and good deeds. The last section, uh, 32 to 39, is a section on endurance. Endurance. Look at it. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle of sufferings. He's saying, look back at when you came to Christ and you were willing to do anything. You were willing to suffer for Jesus. You, you had surrendered your life to him. You were living that life, following him. Remember how it was. And he continues, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those, who, those so treated. You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. What? Joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Does this describe you? <laughs> it doesn't describe me. I followed Jesus as a young person, but I really didn't suffer very much. And in fact, I really have never suffered all that much. This is one of the hard things about it for us in America. It's sometimes hard for us to follow hard after God because it's so easy. Everything is so easy. The question is, have you been willing to suffer? Have you been willing to suffer reproach? Are you willing to speak to people, talk to people about Jesus? Are you willing to live your Christian life without fear? True believers do. They're willing to suffer and even joyfully allow people to plunder their stuff. 
I was in northern India a few years ago, and the persecution that is ongoing right now in India was growing, uh, just starting and growing at that time. And uh, churches were being, the, the guys I was training, some of their churches were being shut down. They weren't letting them rent. People are having a hard time getting, getting jobs. Pastors were, were being threatened. Uh, some people had been killed. The government was paying people to uh, convert from Islam or from Christianity back to Hinduism. And it's gotten worse since then. And you know what these guys are like? Full of joy. Full of joy. Full of energy. Self-sacrificing. I'm like, man, I want to be like these guys. I'm teaching them, I want to be like these guys. Because they love Jesus so much. They're willing to endure. For you have need of endurance. Oh, I skipped a verse. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. There is a reward for us who are true followers of Jesus, that have surrendered and are trusting in Jesus for everything and in everything. Endurance. Endurance. So how do we endure as Christians? Well, we got to strap our boots on and we got to go. We got to do it, right? We got to work harder. We got to try harder. No, that's not what he says. Look, uh, verse 37, a quote from Habakkuk. Yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. This is about Babylon. God said, told Habakkuk that he was raising up Babylon to discipline Judah, by bringing them into captivity. And Habakkuk didn't like it. He's like, um, Babylon? They're way worse than we are. How can you do that? And God, God says, no, I got that figured out too. I'm going to bring up, I'm going to raise up the Persians and they're going to come and they're going to punish the Babylonians. He says, I'm doing things that you don't see. You, you, don't, you doubt me. You don't trust me because you, you don't see what I'm doing. I'm God. I'm doing things that you would never understand. And then he says, Habakkuk, the just, the righteous shall live by faith. You need to trust me. Trust me. Live your life by faith. This is how we endure. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Don't abandon faith. Don't abandon dependence on God. Keep going, keep trusting, keep depending on God. Don't shrink back. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are people who endure, and we preserve our souls by enduring in faith. Paul said to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. This is our battle as believers. Day after day, I will wake up, I will have my coffee with Jesus, and I will surrender to him again that day. Jesus, here I am. I am yours. You are mine. I trust you today. Help me. Help me love you. Help me love people. Help me do the things that you call me to do. Empower me to do your work. I trust you. I depend on you. I can't do it without you. This is, uh, this is the Christian life. Are you in? Are you in? 
Will you fight the battle of faith? It's amazing. It is amazing. God invites us, God invites me, and God invites you to enter his presence, to walk with him, listen to him, depend on him. Will you enter? God invites us to embrace hope through Jesus and to look forward and to keep going because we know where we're going to end up. We know the end of the story. So have hope. Celebrate. Celebrate the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. But don't do it alone. Stir others up to love and good deeds. Encourage them. Don't leave anyone by the side of the road. Let's grow together. Let's endure together. Because that's what we're called to. To endure in faith together no matter what the circumstances. What are you going through right now? Is it a hard time? Is there questions? Is there doubts? What are you going through right now? Trust God. Depend on Him. Run to Him. Place your faith in Him. He will get you through. Keep going. Don't give up. Keep trusting. Keep growing. Don't give up. This is one of the big themes of this book, and it's so strong here. Do you see people around you that are hurting? People with doubts, with fears, they're getting weak in their faith. The flame is getting weaker. Don't leave them there. Go to them. Love them. Help them. Build them up. Encourage them. Be with them. And above all, continue fighting the fight of faith. Let's pray. Father, we, we need you so much. Every day is a battle for us but we don't want to fight it alone. We want to walk with you. We want to walk in intimacy with you. We want to experience you day after day. And we want to walk with those around us that are hurting or, or in doubt. Help us see our brothers and sisters that need a word of encouragement. Help us grow together in our community groups and, and in our accountability relationships in every area of our Christian life. Father, we, we desire desperately, desperately to walk with you with hope and in faith. And so we surrender ourselves to you once again this day. And we do this for your glory and for your kingdom. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to respond now by by taking communion. I just want to read a couple verses from Luke 22, the night that Jesus was betrayed. He, he gathered his disciples and they celebrated the Passover meal together. And he says this, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus asked them to look forward to the future hope of a great banquet meal that would happen in the Lamb, Lamb Supper in heaven. 
And he says, he took bread, and, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In these elements, we remember Jesus and what he has done. We celebrate Jesus and that his body opened the door. His flesh opened the door for us to enter into the presence of God. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup is, that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. You ever notice that? The new covenant? It's the new way. It's not the old way. It's not the law. It's now the new way that Jesus performed by dying for us on the cross. Everything changed at that moment. Everything. Now, by placing our faith in Jesus, we have hope. Now, by placing our faith in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit in us to empower us and help us. Everything changed when Jesus died and rose from the dead. It is a new covenant, a new way of living our lives. As we come forward, we have two stations here and one in the back. You can come down uh, the center aisle and uh, bring the elements back. You can take them anytime that you're, you're ready to take them. I'd like you to consider, there's a station in the back as well. I'd like you to consider as you come this morning that you come with hope. You come with the presence of Christ with you. I want you to come with a, with a heart of celebration this morning for what Christ has done, but with a seriousness in your heart as well. Let's partake together of the table.